Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca and today we're going to start season 3 of the podcast with a special episode. Since it's Pride Month, we wanted to dedicate the first episode of season 3 uh, to Pride, to what Pride is, um, how expensive it is to have a Pride parade. And since we're interviewing Christine Garina from Europride, the president of Europride, then, you know, we wanted to know how it is to get a license and what it means to be part of the Europride family. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Christine. How are you doing? Hi, hi. How are you? I'm good. Why don't we start the interview by talking a bit about you? So who are you? What is your role in Europride and where do you come from? Uh, so my name is Christine Garina. I am president of Europride or uh, European Pride Organizers Association. And uh, I come from Riga, Latvia. Uh, I'm originally from Latvia. I've lived uh, in Riga all my life. So this is where I am based right now. Okay, well, <laughs> that's really cool. We are a group of young adults and our audience is also uh, tends to be uh, of young adults and teenagers. So would you mind if I ask you uh, what you studied and how you got to where you are? Uh, yeah, I, I, I studied um, I studied economics. I studied finances and economics, which sounds uh, uh, very boring. <laughs> and it's not where my life uh, is taken me now. I mean, I have a, quite a different uh, path now in my life. But uh, I guess I was just better at math than anything else uh, in school. So I, I just thought I'll go for, uh, for mathematics and for numbers. And international affairs was something that was always interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always interested in. So I went for uh, international economic affairs. And, and I've got a master degree in that. But um, that all changed when I started uh, engaging with human rights, although numbers and economics is still important in pride as well yeah. <laughs> and in human rights organizations. <laughs> so it's still useful that I've got uh, that education. Well, it's actually really good to, uh, to know how to manage finances in uh, the economic part of uh, <laughs> oh, yes. human rights <laughs> NGOs, actually. So yeah, and why did you decide to work for a European uh, pride organization? Well, the thing is, you don't actually uh, work for European Pride Organizers Association. Well, you do work. We do a lot of work, but it is, first of all, volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are eight volunteers running the organization, and each of us represent a different pride all over Europe. So we have board members from, like, I'm from Latvia, but we have someone from Bulgaria, Denmark, Norway, uh, Spain, Greece. So we're very geographically diverse. And uh, we are elected. So all of us are being elected in our annual uh, general meeting. So members, are mem- we're a membership-based organization. So prides all over Europe come together and elect uh, people who will lead this organization. And I was elected uh, as a president of this organization in, in, in 2015 after Europride came to my city and I was one of the organizers of Europride in Riga. And, 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 and after that, the organization asked me to run for the board and and elected me that's how that's how it happened oh that's nice that's really good <laughs> now let's talk about the organization so what does it stand for and what is the goal of um your pride uh well we stand for a pride movement basically the european pride movement and uh, we are a network for uh, european pride organizers so sort of an umbrella organization that mm-hmm. just unites uh, all the pride organizers in europe and um, our main goal is just to strengthen and build the pride movement in Europe. And uh, 
one part is uh, through networking and through uh, engaging with our members and strengthening our members. And the other part is Europride, which is a separate event that we license every year to a different European city. And we use that to also uh, make a bigger impact on LGBTQI rights all over Europe. So licensing Europride to one of the cities, we have a chance to uh, increase uh, the impact that the city can do with their pride. And that's uh, another goal that we do is uh, we license Europride. I was part of Elective when I was younger. Um... I also was one of the founders, but the thing is that we were uh, we were also part of, of a network of LGBT NGOs uh, in my region, which was called Coordinamento Campania Rainbow. But the thing is, and you know, the main thing of this uh, network was to help smaller cities to organize the pride events. But the problem is that, uh, so they, they kind of had the same basically mentality as Europride, but you know, on a smaller scale. But the problem is that after a couple of years, there were a lot of issues, like internal issues, and this this network kind of like, you know, dismantled. How do you do it on a European scale? <laughs> that's, that's my question. Because, you know, like if, if in a, such a local level, like in my region, in Southern Italy, if we had the, that, you know, this internal like rivalry and all these kind of things, I don't even want to imagine like on a European scale. Well, there are problems everywhere in every network, but I think the point is to to see the benefits of networking and to see uh, the benefits of working together. And Mm -hmm. they usually are uh, so much bigger than the problems you encounter by working together. I think we all, um, through European cooperation, and like I'm a big fan of uh, European Union, through unions and through working together, we know it works. So we just overcome the differences. (laughs) and We just keep doing it because we know it works and solidarity and uh, helping uh, helping the, the stronger members can help more struggling ones and we know it works uh, and and I, we just stick to that and if you remember that as your goal is to strengthen everyone and mm-hmm. it is ba- basically beneficial for all of us uh, that actually helps to to overcome all the differences yeah you're also an advocacy group right yes we are okay so your well, pride is i think pride is one of the pride is uh, a advocacy tool it's one yeah. of the advo- parts of advocacy so obviously we're also in that yeah so you're an advocacy group and you create networks for um queer activists and queer organizations um but yeah how do you do your work how do you find partners how do you um keep your network because that's you know keeping um the previous partners is also a bit complicated how do you organize conferences to you know get to know about the pride event uh, how do you do your activities? Oh uh, yeah, well we we are a network, so we already are we we are already created. So <laughs> we don't uh, create networks, but we do help other networks to mm. to to work to 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 be born. Let's say, uh, for example, there are already existing members within our network uh, that uh, also create smaller networks. So we've mm. all seen this networking is a good thing for us. So we have a German network, we have a Swedish network, we have Nordic network, Baltic network. So there are networks within networks that actually function quite well. And it's quite easy to uh, communicate that way. If we need a, uh, to reach a member in, in, in the UK, we have a UNA- mm-hmm. UK Pride Organizers Network that we can go through. And uh, it's quite a, it sounds very complicated, but it actually uh, makes sense if you think about it. <laughs> and we also help uh, to facilitate new network creation, like uh, 
in countries where it's more difficult, like Poland. Uh, and, and I know, I think that Polish Pride Network that is uh, in, in the works right now makes a lot of sense and we can help. We can help with uh, facilitating it, bringing Prides together and just uh, helping them to create their own network and start uh, working together. And uh, I think the most important part how to do this uh, work is just not not be set in our ways and just respond to what is needed and listen to our members and see what pride organizers are doing and just you know react to that and uh, <laughs> whether it's a training that is needed on some specific issue or uh, mm -hmm. like facilitating an activity for 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 one of the networks uh, especially in this like in these last uh, in this last year in these last 18 months i think the global pandemic was a great example how we can't just do what we've always done we we yeah. just have to react to things and and adjust uh, to what is needed based on the situation so our job is to listen to pride organizers in europe and respond to what their needs are and can i ask you um what did you do last year as your pride oh we <laughs> we did uh, we did a lot of work still but Europride itself uh, did not happen in 2020 it was postponed to 2024 it had to happen in Thessaloniki Greece mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately it was not possible to put on an event uh, that, that, that the organizers would be happy with so that was postponed to 2024 which is the next available year for for Europride but we still did a lot of a lot of other work so the Europride is not the only thing uh, mm -hmm. there's also uh, uh, the network itself and we did uh, we did a lot of work with like this pride calendar tracking changes and cancellations uh, that became very important source of information because um, so many prides were cancelled postponed uh, or moved to different dates it was uh, it was quite a mess and I think we became a very important source of information and for the community for the media and for other prides uh, to have information available what others are doing and what is happening yeah. and uh, yeah and we were uh, tracking that and we were seeing what other prides are doing and sharing that information we did um, shortly after we realized that the pride, most prides are, are actually going to get cancelled or postponed we did a, a webinar for pride organizers uh, what their plans are what are the different things prides in europe are doing can we learn from each other? Can we share some, you know, uh, can, can we share um, available technological solutions or ideas? So all that. And uh, also just helping people to connect socially because, you know, Pride is about getting together. Yeah. And when all those Prides were cancelled last summer, people really needed a platform to talk to each other and to get together and to feel that, uh, that they're still part of the community. So we also organized just an online uh, you know social meetings for, for pride organizations everywhere in europe and that's really really important but i think the most important thing that we did uh, uh and that actually came out of all those uh previous things i mentioned that was uh, global pride that we organized together with other international and uh and national networks and um yeah uh, when we realized there are no basically there will be no prides in 2020 Mm -hmm. um, we we needed uh, something to keep LGBTQI issues visible because yeah. that's what the project is all about visibility. So we created an online global event with online content, 
uh, and online content contributions from every continent and every region. And that went on for 27 hours online. <laughs> and that was watched by uh, almost 60 million people in 160 countries. So it was uh, the biggest pride ever in a way and the most accessible one because, you know, people from the places where pride is still unimaginable could actually join yeah. from their phone or their computer from the safety of their home. So that was a very big thing that, that, that we did. Yeah, that's that's one of the good things of the um, of the fact that everything went online. Because again, even people that didn't have access to in person to these commodities, which is again for us going to a pride parade without you know being afraid of I don't know even the police basically dispersing all the people. Because in some countries, you know, even the the police is not going to be there to help you out or to protect you. So it's nice to to yeah to do a, an online event where, uh, as you said, like. Many people from all over the world uh, have participated and have been part to. So it's really, it's really, nice, yeah. really interesting. Absolutely. That's one of the things I hope we get to keep when mm -hmm. we return back on the streets. We still keep this online element of, of, of Pride uh, alive and available for everyone because it just makes us more accessible. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. No, yeah, it's really good. So uh, <laughs> you were talking about World Pride. Uh, so what is the difference between your Pride, World Pride? and um, national pride parades? Well, oh, that's complicated. <laughs> it's actually not. <laughs> there, are pride, so there are prides in, in, in cities, like capital cities or other cities. And there is like no limit how big pride needs to be or where mm. it is. It is a public demonstration for LGBTQI rights. And that's what makes uh, it a pride. And it can take many forms. And each city and each place, each community decides how it needs to, to look. And then there is Europride that is a license that we, uh, that our organization gives out to one pride each year in Europe. So uh, when, when city organizes Europride, it doesn't, it doesn't replace their own usual local pride. Mm -hmm. It just adds to it a European dimension. So they can use a brand and this name that can help to make a bigger impact with, with, with that local, usually local event and to get more attention from the media and the society and uh, very importantly, from the politician, from European institutions. So just use it as a platform in addition to their own to their own uh, pride that they usually would do. And uh, yeah, it's a chance for a city or a country or, or a region uh, to put a European spotlight on what they think is, is most important for them uh, right now. And World Pride does the same only internationally on the world world stage level. <laughs> and sometimes they come together like they do this year uh, because... If World Pride is awarded to one of the cities in Europe, we wouldn't put Europride on that same year because we don't mm -hmm. want two competing, competing events. So we just include Europride within the World Pride uh, idea and concept. So this year we have a World Pride in, in Copenhagen and that will also include Europride license as well. So two brands, very strong brands coming together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also wanted to ask you this thing because um, when they did World Pride in, um, in Madrid, it was huge. It was literally like <laughs> as if uh, Madrid had um, the Olympics, was hosting the Olympics because it had so many people, all the hotels were booked. Everything was, again, economically, your Pride and, and especially World Pride are economically beneficial. Does this part of economic benefit coming from Big Pride help the advocacy part? Because, you know, you're basically saying like, hey, if you're gay friendly, 
you can get this much money. Can that be, let's say, a stimulant for some countries, for some cities? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very good point that uh, uh, we get a lot of pride, not we, prides. Prides get a lot of criticism sometimes about uh, being a, a little bit commercial and engaging with corporations and mm. uh, selling uh, big floats uh, in the parade. But uh, I think this this question comes out of a big privilege because there are countries that just seeing a commercial float in a parade has a huge impact on them. Like if there's a LGBTQI community members in Russia can yeah. see a big, a big corporation taking part in a pride, uh, even if it looks commercial, you cannot imagine how much it means to someone for whom corporations wouldn't even dare to speak up for LGBTQI rights. So there's a big element of that that we don't, don't usually realize in the more successful and more uh, LGBT friendly countries, what impact it, it, it has on, on, uh, on more LGBT non-friendly countries and regions. It has, uh, it has a big power to actually change people's minds when they see corporations they're familiar with and they have associated uh, their entire lives. And if they see them being LGBTQI friendly, it can actually have a big impact on, on, on society's opinions as well. Yeah. And again, as you were saying before as well, it's also the fact that with the license, let's say with the, because it's a big event, again, you also get more attention, more media attention, and, you know, the local LGBT NGOs can, can push forward some, some local, like not local, but maybe national issues. So they can use that as a platform for advocacy. So it is, I mean, again, it is commercial in, in some ways, but the thing is that it has to be because we live in a capitalistic world, <laughs> you know, like uh, it's, you know, like, of course you need the, you need the money to do a good, a good job. And um, yeah. And some organizations are willing to do it like, because they genuinely believe in it. Uh, and this is good. And then other big corporations just do it for the sake of doing it. And to be honest, I would say that that's good as well, as long as they give the money, to be honest, I, I don't mind. Uh, it is, uh, I agree with you. It is good as well. And sometimes we can use it and we don't always use it uh, to our advantage, like uh, pushing diversity politics within the uh, corporation, using that as a, as a tool to, uh, to engage with them, talk about diversity policies within their organizations, but also the corporate involvement and, and um, so-called commercialization of pride, it actually helps us to keep it free for the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't always communicate very well how much it costs to put on a pride. And it's not like uh, most prides in Europe are volunteer led. It's not that we pay wages to people even, but we need security, we need toilets for people, we need water for the volunteers, we need fences, we need so many things. Thank you. And can you go more into detail? <laughs> exactly. Can you please go more into detail? Because that's the thing, like people don't really understand how expensive doing a pride parade is. And um, again, maybe I'm, I'm going to say from a local level, I might say that, you know, because of Instagram and because of, you know, Euro Pride and World Pride, sometimes even the local prides, I have to uh, kind of try to match up. <laughs> so, you know, at least have, have some, you know, I don't know, have something, some cute elements, but everything, even the basic stuff, even doing a basic ride is expensive, like super expensive. And this is something that, again, like local NGOs try to save as much money as possible, like every year, because that's basically our Christmas. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you do save up money for, for that occasion, but it is expensive. Can you please go like, 
not much into detail, but can you please explain how expensive it is to organize a pride? Because you were saying like you need, especially for big events, it's a big event, so you need toilets. You need, uh, but even small days. events, even small events need uh, toilets. Even See. small events need a stage, uh, a small st- building a small stage for like a small local pride. That costs a lot of money. You need yeah. sound equipment uh, if you want to screen, if you want inter- uh, sign language interpretation to be accessible, if you want and to that's... be uh, also accessible for people with movement, uh, so you can be physically ac- accessible. It's there's so many uh, so many elements to that. I can't even like <laughs> mention everything right now, but the obvious things, you know, like toilets and fences, but so much behind it. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that is all considering that most artists uh, would perform for free and most people would work for free. That's just the basics of how mm-hmm. to make events safe because uh, we can't compromise on one thing, on security of the participants. So that's, that's all the fencing, the toilets, and, and right now additional requirements uh, for their COVID uh, restrictions, of course. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it all adds up to a lot of money. Yeah. It is, it is crazy expensive. It is also crazy uh, complicated to organize it because you also need authorization <laughs> from the uh, from the municipality. You need authorization from the, the police, local police because they're going to be, you know, part of the security yeah. team. So, yeah. And, you know, depends where you are. In some places, you need to set money aside. You may have to go to court with the city council because you'll get banned like Poland and you don't have to be somewhere crazy like outside of EU, like right here. You, 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 may, you may get your pride banned and you will, you will need to go to court urgently to get that permit. And that has happened many times in the last few years. Okay, that's another thing that's <laughs> also crazy. Uh, it's really crazy. Oh, it's crazy, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Poland is, is like um, a nightmare at the moment. Like Poland and Hungary are basically a wake-up call for the, for the rest of Europe that, you know, everyone's rights are at risk. And we shouldn't take for granted anything that we have accomplished. So, I don't know, do you work with uh, Polish NGOs? And what do you think the um, queer community can do to help the situation in Poland? Yeah, of course we do, yes. Um, our, um, our AGM, our uh, annual general meeting, usually every year decides what would our strategic focus would be for the next few years. And that was uh, over two years ago when we actually decided that... Uh, Poland is one of the strategic priorities that we should focus on and and see what we can do to help. And that was just when these LGBT free zones, so-called LGBT free zones, uh, just started to appear in Poland. And we established um, a Polish uh, fund, a fund to help the Poland pride organizers. And we reached out, uh, we reached out to our more successful and richer members and, and just ask them to contribute to that. And um, I'm happy to say that none of the prides we went to said no, everybody contributed. So we got this money to, to bring the Polish pride organizers together for their first conference. So they all got together for the first time, um, met each other and talked about what is needed to be done and how we can spend this money. And unfortunately that happened just before the pandemic hit in January, 2020. Mm-hmm. So that all was put on hold for, for a while, but um, that fund is still there to be used when we're back on the streets. And, and when, when the Polish pride organizers actually tell us what is it that they can do, what would be helpful. But for now, I think what is most important is not to forget because we tend to forget things mm-hmm. and uh, 
terrible things are happening everywhere in the world and uh, the the speed how everything changes and the news cycle now like five minutes and you forgot the most shocking news that would probably be on your mind for a year a couple of years ago so uh, two years have passed and we kind of stopped talking about those lgbt free zones in poland although they haven't disappeared they're still there uh, and uh, there are lots of issues like that that we um, concentrate our attention on for a month or, or a few weeks and, and we'll forget. But I think what we can do, uh, what community can do is just follow the news and keep talking about it and keep it in the, in the agenda and remind uh, the politicians either on social media or, or, or through your pride organizations or through your uh, LGBT organizations and remind them that that still exists. The LGBTQI community in Poland is still in danger. Uh, not let the world forget that this is still happening. No. Let's end on a positive note. Um, <laughs> do you like? Can you tell us a bit about Copenhagen um, World and Euro Pride this year? <laughs> When is it going to be? Yeah. Uh... Yes, I think I can. Uh, It is happening from, uh, well, actually quite soon. It is happening from uh, 16th to 22nd of August was the main event being on Saturday, 21st of August. And obviously with all the uh, changes right now, it's quite difficult to predict what's going to happen in two or three months. <laughs> so it may not look uh what we think it's going to look, but I'm sure it's going to be an amazing human rights, human rights focused event uh, with the uh, World Pride and Euro Pride and Euro Games all in one in, 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 oh. in Copenhagen. So we'll, 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 we'll see what happens there. Okay. I didn't know about the Euro Games uh, being involved too. Yes, <laughs> in the same yes it's, it's, it's going to be really uh, so many important things coming together in one, in one day in one city. Oh, nice. So we asked this to um, everyone that we interview, not everyone, but all the organizations. Uh, so I'm going to be asking this to you too. Are you looking for interns or volunteers? Always, always. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the thing is that we, we don't actually uh, have an office. So we are a virtual organization. So all, all the help we need is, uh, is also going to be virtual and online. But I think that uh, the pride movement really needs volunteers everywhere so what i would urge everyone to do is just reach out to your local pride organization and ask what they need because this is really essential now when prides are uh, returning and we had a really bad year with lots of cancellations and lots of people were not able to 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 volunteer uh, again so uh, prides are in trouble and prides really need your help so if you can Just find your closest pride and volunteer with them and help them help them to come back. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to promote? Promote? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I want to. I, yeah, I want to. I would like to tell everyone that next year uh, is going to be one of the most important Euro prides we ever had. That's going to be in Belgrade in Serbia in 2022. So keep an eye on that. Uh, follow follow us on social media. Obviously, it's Euro Pride on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and europride.info on Instagram and, and keep an eye on Belgrade next year. It's going to be very important for the entire Balkan region. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a really uh, historic one. Uh, it's going to change uh, LGBTQI movement in that region. Uh, definitely hope for that. And yeah, 
That was okay. great, 2022. <laughs> okay. Um, again, thank you very much for the interview. And also, thank you for 2011 uh, for bringing basically Lady Gaga to uh, the Euro Pride Rome in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were there. Uh, no, actually, I was, I, I was there. <laughs> I actually was not. Uh, I was not so... there. I was too young to be there. But I, it was very exciting <laughs> just to know that, um, that, that, you know, like that was a thing. So, yeah, thank you very much. It was really crazy. I was I was there. It was it was mad. Uh, the whole year pride in Rome. <laughs> I can imagine. I can I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for everything. And um, thank you. <laughs> see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for talking to me. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us, you rate us five stars on Apple Podcast, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.